Welcome back. This is Cassandra. And I'm Karami. And we're too good to be true. And this week I'm going to be talking to Jerome Jacobson. And he did a scam involving the McDonald's Monopoly game, which I found to be interesting. I had never heard about it before. Uh, once I tell you, like, the timing around things, you'll understand why. We kind of never really heard about it. But um, let's just get into it. Jerome P. Jacobson was born in 1943 in Youngstown, Ohio. And that's about all I have on his background. Um, he was a cop in Florida Lovely. in 1976, prior to what he gets into after that. Um, that was his dream, I guess, to be a cop, but he suffered a wrist injury. I don't know how a wrist injury could really be that bad that you wouldn't be able to stay in the force, but apparently that coupled with the fact that he was diagnosed with a neurological disorder, so that, yeah, that's kind that of that would do it, I guess. That made him unable to work in law enforcement then, and... Bummer for him, because apparently that was his dream list, what he really wanted to do. He moved to Atlanta, Georgia with his wife, Marsha, and his wife worked as a security auditor for an accounting firm, and that firm got Jerome a job in corporate security, but how they it's kind of weird how his wife and this place did it like the firm where she worked handled accounts for this company called Dittler Brothers okay and that's where he it's a publishing company in charge of printing products for you know other it's like i guess like an outside company that prints products for other companies whatever what kind of products like what do you mean they print products i don't know but I know one thing that they print, which is the game pieces for the Monopoly game for McDonald's. <laughs> I don't hey, know. how does that tie in? I don't story. know what else they do, but they definitely do that. So, um, I, my guess is they probably print all sorts of things like that, like stickers. Like, I know at McDonald's, we had, like, other things like that that came on rolls. Because this comes... I find out through doing my research for this that when they print those things, they come on rolls and then they had to like cut them to attach them to the merchandise that they put them on. Cause you know, like if you've ever played the McDonald's Monopoly game, you know that the token pieces come on like your fry box like or, or your something. drink cup or your whatever. And I know that when these are printed, they're printed on rolls. So probably anything that came like on rolls, like I know we have stickers when I were, I used to work at McDonald's. So who puts them on the stuff? Is there somebody who that's their designated job? Is there a sticker puller we're apparter? Get into this, okay? <laughs> so he got a job working for this printing company as like a security type person. And they were in charge of printing products for this other company, Simon Marketing Co. And Simon Marketing Co. was in charge of printing and distributing the game pieces for the McDonald's Monopoly game. A little bit of backstory about the McDonald's Monopoly game. If you never 
heard of it or played it or anything like that. It is a worldwide sales promotion used by McDonald's based off of the board game Monopoly, obviously. And they came up with it to draw in more customers. It was just one of like many other gimmicky things that they did. And it was first ran in 1987 in the U.S., but it was like a nationwide thing. They do it. They do it at like all the different McDonald's. Yeah, I remember it. I never really ate fast food a whole lot when I was younger, so I don't remember ever really getting too. The only too into reason it. I know a lot about it is because I used to work there for seven years. So it's for me, I'm familiar. But um, the game tokens can be found on products like hash browns, French fries, and drink cups associated to, you know, pieces on the game. So, like, the the pieces that you pull off are associated to different pieces, like, on the game board. Like, you know how, like... Right, like, I remember that. Like, you could get, like, like the Reading Railroad and Yeah, stuff you can like get that. the railroad, you can get the properties, all that stuff. I don't remember, like, how it actually works, though. Like, I, can, I can't remember if you need to get certain You had to get, like, they were, color, you know, I think on the game board they're also color-coded, but they were, like, color-coded, and it was, like, if you get all these ones here or all these ones here, like, it's at different sections on the game board, then that would mean that you collected whatever prize or whatever. Mm, okay. Because I remember, like, I thought that you could get little prizes with individual pieces. And we're going to get to that. The best prizes were associated with the combination of Boardwalk and Park Place. Just like on the game, they were the most... Right, those are the hot... The, they were the hot-to-get places to have. You know, they were the highest. Um, traditionally, it was a million dollars for if you got the combination of those two spaces. That was the prize for that, traditionally, most years. In 2006-2007, the top prize was... For all four railroads, which was five million. So just those two years, it was slightly different. And they still did the one million for the Boardwalk and Park Place. There's also instant win tokens, like for small food items. And also you could win trips, electronics, like an Xbox or a Game Boy or what whatever. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? And as well as like street cash prizes you know what i mean so like different varied you know things that you could win right so there's more than just just having to collect certain things and have yeah there collections there's ways some to things win. that were instant prizes mostly they were just like the food item things. right but then, that's what i was thinking like i remember occasionally if we went to get fast food yeah. pulling one off and it being like a free drink or a free fry or something and yeah. not really you know, a piece. According to the information that I found, the odds of uncovering a $1 million game piece were 1 in 250 million. Well, then. (laughs) Yeah. So laws that are set, you know, to protect things forbid McDonald's from administering their own sweepstakes and contests. So in order to prevent fraud and ensure all prizes were given away, you know, Fairly. Fairly. The promotions and stuff like that are handled by an impartial third-party company. And in this case, that was Simon Worldwide, who had enlisted that other place to print the game pieces. Okay. 
And they also would be the person that would award the major prizes. Okay. So around this time, he was put in charge of safekeeping the game pieces. And at the same time, and I don't know why they felt like this was important to tell us, but maybe it just says something about his state of mind. Him and his wife got divorced. Oh. Okay. I don't know. But but they did mention that it was at the same around the same time. Okay. Well, a lot of people get divorced and they don't commit fraud. Fraud. So. Yeah. So he himself stated to the FBI that it was his responsibility to keep the integrity of the game and get those winners to the public. Which clearly he did not do. Okay. But that was what he was supposed to be doing, okay, sir. And it's funny because as I was like doing my research, I have read that like according to former staff that worked for him, he was like a straight shooter. Like they said like he was very like on top of things and like he would not like he didn't mess around. Do you know what I mean? And he was on the lookout for any little mistake or any anything do you know what i mean yeah but i mean they called that, him eagle-eyed which yeah. i mean i don't i mean normally you would think that's a good quality but i mean obviously that could assist somebody in being deceitful right. so i mean i don't know necessarily say oh that's you know you wouldn't expect him to do fraud then because yeah, yeah, yeah. i'm not saying he wouldn't but i just thought it was funny because these people are like and according to some people, they, he would even have their shoes searched in order per, to prevent game pieces from being stolen. Wow. Which he himself then does. But That's kind of crazy. And I just, like, it's so crazy because, like, they even said, like, he had a high regard for authority. And, but they think that somehow, like, his high regard for authority led him to kind of think he is the authority, the power in a way. Do you know what I mean? Like, power trip type thing or something, maybe, or whatever. You know what I mean? We could be. I mean, I, if somebody that's that anal about things and that controlling of other people in their environment, it wouldn't really surprise me if yeah. they went on a power trip. I mean, honestly, in jobs, in, in, bad management that honestly that is that when you're working a job what are the managers that you've hated the micromanaging the, micromanaging ones, the ones that are yeah, yeah, the ones that are up your ass all the time and hovering over you and breathing down your neck that, and trying yeah. to perfect everything I mean, well they even said that he criticized female attire and wrote people up for simple mistakes like just everyday dumb things what's the mcfuck yeah. <laughs> attire apparently i i don't know what that means i don't know if he like thought maybe some things people were wearing were inappropriate for the workplace that's what dress codes are for yeah you don't have a dress code then i'd be like listen you're not the boss you you just work here so you're not my real dad you're not my real dad (laughs) yeah i don't know he sounds like a treat but anyway and then there was even a driver who said who transported the game pieces who said he couldn't even go to the bathroom without someone going with him what yeah okay elizabeth holmes yeah well this is when the start of the scam kind of begins even though our friend jerome made a good salary of seventy thousand a year 
and also had access to expense, like an expense account mm-hmm. that he could use, which he apparently used a lot and racked up a lot of expensive things like obviously flights, drinks, high-end meals, all that sorts of stuff. Right. You know, he still had this like, I don't know. They say he kind of liked the thrill of the high life. So it was like maybe he kind of just wanted more, I guess. And it says he became obsessed with get-rich-quick schemes. Lord, of course he did. They also mentioned he saw a psychic on the regular, which I don't know what that has to do with anything. But Well, obviously they didn't tell him he was going to get caught. So, yeah, they weren't doing their job properly, apparently. So the first time he stole a game piece was in 1989. And he gave this piece to his stepbrother, Marvin Braun, at a family gathering. Oh, oh, okay. And this was the one time where he didn't ask for anything in return. I think he was just testing out the waters like, hey, can I do it? Can I not do it? And also it was kind of like an ego type thing, like he could brag about it. Right. Do you know what I mean? And be like, hey, look what I did. Could he even brag? You know I mean, I don't know if he could brag about it because people would then catch him. But I think maybe... maybe I mean, just to that person. Yeah, I was going to say, maybe not bragging so much as being able to hold it over their head. Like, Yeah, kind of that. That's what I mean. Like, sort of like... like a narcissistic kind hey, of thing. look what I can do. Look what I did for you. Whatever. Now you, you know, basically own me forever because I did this thing for you. And that one was worth 25000 then he gave one to his local butcher that was worth 10000 in exchange for 2000 in cash. That's a weird exchange, but okay. Yeah. Because that's when he would start doing, he would start giving these pieces to people so they could go claim the prizes or they would have someone they know claim the prizes. See, that's where you get yourself into trouble doing that because... Then these people are going to start talking. They're going to, you know, Mildred's going to go tell Margaret. And that's what I found to be bizarre was like how many people end up getting involved in this. And then it's like, okay, the more people that are involved, the less secret, the less secretive this yeah. is. And the more likely you're going to get in trouble what and you're it? going to get caught. What is it that, you know, pretty little liar starts out with two can keep a secret if one of them is dead? Like, you can, exactly. You can't be spreading a secret amongst 50 people and yeah, think all 50 of them are going to tell it's someone like why, else. Why would you think this was going to work out in your favor? So as we know, Jerome was the security auditor for Simon Marketing. He was there to oversee the printing as well as the, you know, being in charge of making sure the game pieces got to the McDonald's warehouse packaging facilities because what happens is like I said, they were on like a roll and then they would get cut, clipped, and then they put them like on the packages, like kind of like a sticker, mm-hmm. you know, like on the packaging that they use that they would ship out to the stores. And because the winning pieces were so high of like such high regard and they had to kind of, they wanted to you know, make sure, I guess maybe they were evenly distributed different places. That's why those were separate from the regular game pieces. That makes sense. Yeah, because you don't want like three out of four million winners to be all concentrated in New York because it's just not fair. 
And like I said, the game pieces from Predator Rolls, he would clip them, seal them in envelopes with tamper-proof metallic stickers, then transport them. This made it easy for him to rig the game because he was the one basically overseeing all of this from printing to the transportation. So right. like and they probably didn't have any any monitoring of like who had control of it at what time, you know, when you when you do, you know, say at a hospital or something and somebody Right. You know, passes off this vial of blood to so-and-so. Like, they have to have that all accounted for. And if he's the only one doing all of it... Yeah, then... I don't think anyone was really accounting for anything at this point. Now, obviously, they run these things differently now. But at that point, there wasn't anything set in place like that, I don't believe. The scheme really took off. In 1995, when he was accidentally sent an entire package of the tamper-proof seals. So kind of made it a lot easier for him to, to run this scam. And they were from like an outside supplier in Hong Kong. And I guess they accidentally sent them to his home address when they're supposed to send them to the, the business facility to the business. Yeah. But somehow they got sent to his house. And just his luck, because he had already started getting into this, now that he has these, it makes it a lot, it makes it a lot easier for him. So, like, at this point, he started switching out the winning gay pieces for regular pieces and then resealing them in the Ooh. envelopes with the tamper-proof stickers Ooh. or seals or whatever. Oh, well, isn't that handy for Yeah, him? and according to what I... It's like different articles did say different things, whatever. But like, according to what I read, he did have one person that traveled with him who was hired. It was like the company's own auditor. So it was like somebody from McDonald's. It was a female. Mm -hmm. So when he did this, he would go into the men's room. Oh. And then switch the things out and come back out. Interesting. I was... I just don't, I just don't, I don't know why you would even want to get involved in, it just seems so, not that it was hard, not that it was hard, it just seems like tedious. Yeah, kind a of lot. Just to a do. lot of stuff to do for yeah. this. And how, I mean, how much was he ultimately making off of this? We'll get into all this. So that's when he would do in order to not get caught. He would go into the men's rooms at the airports when they're traveling to go drop these off at the different facilities he then recruited people some of them were of less savory types mm -hmm. um they said some were convicts drug drug addicts strip club owners and psychics some person you have about <laughs> psychics but also there was a group of mormons and supposed members of the colombo crime family uh, okay, who who are they? We'll get into that sort of too. But not just vaguely, not like we're going to really get into it or anything because it's not that important. Then they would get friends and family of theirs to claim the prizes as like, quote unquote, fake winners. The whole thing is just so contrived, <laughs> you know what I mean? And... Jacobson would always receive a cut of their winnings, which is how he was making his, his profit, his money. It still just seems like so much and so many people are involved. It's just bound to 
get out of control. So one of the main people besides him that he like kind of recruited to help him along in this process was Gennaro Colombo, who, like we said, he claimed to be connected to New York's Columbia Mafia. I'm not that familiar with that, but it's apparently out of New York. Yeah, I'm not. I don't know a whole lot about. I don't know about different mob stuff, but he was a casino and nightclub owner. And he called Jacobson Uncle Jerry. Okay. They met by chance at the Atlanta airport. And he had initially joined the scam as one of his fake winners. And I later found out, like, reading some different articles, that I think him and his wife literally claimed three prizes. So how they didn't get caught at that point is beyond me. Like, yeah. literally beyond Because, like, what are the odds that you're going to win that many times now, granted, in the same house? maybe it wasn't him or her specifically every time, but, like, people in their family. Right. Like, three times, okay? And I know for a fact that the first time that they did this scam with him, they claimed one of the $1 million pieces that he had given to them in Boston. And all these people would go and claim these prizes outside of the area to try to make it look more legit more legit or whatever but they but he also did claim uh a prize for a dodge a piece like that was a dodge viper and he was actually on tv in a commercial this oh gennaro colombo guy so they actually they gave out a, a dodge viper here oh i thought it was all cash prizes and Little things. I didn't realize no, they no, were no, giving no. out whole ass cars no, no, and no, stuff. No, 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 no. Sometimes it was like trips and like big high end stuff too. So, oh shit. Okay. Like, I guess it just depended. It varied from year to year. Craziness, I know. And so this guy began helping him recruit more people. It's just like unreal how this just really starts just go in places they got robin his wife's brother-in-law and also the father of robin so like his father-in-law and brother-in-law to claim one million dollar prizes as well but at separate locations so as to not like draw suspicion so like out of state somewhere i don't know all these people live in florida yeah it's wild because all these people live in Florida, but the guy, Jerome, that's running this thing, lives in Georgia. But he's originally from Florida, so right. I don't, I don't know. Anyway, you'd think that they'd start to catch on that a lot of these people have the same at, last name or at something. At some point, you would think so. Even even if it is different states, I mean, if it's an a, a last name, yeah, it's not really. I mean, I could see if there's like a bunch of Smiths winning or something, but if there was an uncommon, a more uncommon, that's last what name, I'm saying, and they all share that, I'd start to be a little suspicious at some point. At one point, they had this lady, Gloria Brown, who was the wife Robin's friend, who was recruited by Columbo, pose as his cousin's roommate, and his cousin lived in South Carolina. In order to collect money from one of these prizes. And they went so far as to have Brown record a message on the cousin's answering machine and lie and also lie about finding the winning game piece in her car while cleaning it out. 
Okay. They tried. They tried to cover their tracks. Yeah, it's kind of crazy. Yeah, and I and there's like a part in one article I read that where they like interviewed her. And she's like, they had me like straight up just lie, like I was just lying out my ass. You know what I mean? <laughs> Basically. So this Columbo guy, he died in a car crash in 1998. So that kind of ruined that whole thing. And also, people thought that was kind of funny, seeing as he won a car, but then he died in a car. Not funny. That's not nice. Ironic. Yeah, you know what I mean. So, Jerome and his wife, Linda, were raking in tens of thousands of dollars per prize. And they moved into a huge red brick home with a giant yard, like, just a big property in Lawrenceville, Georgia. He also owned other real estate properties, as well as went on cruises and had, like, luxury cars. The whole, you know, the whole bit all these people do. Mm -hmm. And this, this scam went on for over 12 years, if you can believe that. 12 years. Uncle Jerry, that's what we're going to call him from now on, because that's what people started calling him. Uncle Jerry, as he became known. He just, he's, he just... It just snowballed. He had, like, a network of people at this point because once that guy passed away, he had to find other people, and then, like, it just turned into a whole thing. And it became, like, a nationwide thing then. And this would do, in large part, to the one person that he recruited named Andrew Glom, who was an ex-convict who got rich from smuggling cocaine. Oh. So if you're smuggling cocaine, you're going to know a lot of people in different places. Yeah. If you get what I'm saying. So he, this guy, Andrew Glong, gave weighing pieces to his old drug trafficking buddies. Okay. Fun. Bringing more people into the it mix. It just really, yeah, it, it kind of just gets out of hand at this point. Jacobson and his associates and the other people that they found won almost all of the top prizes from 1995 to 2000. How? Because I'm stealing them all. I just, it's so shocking. Yeah, so like Jacobson's associates, as well as like these other people that they knew or were connected to and they were giving these pieces to, claimed most of these top prizes from 1995 to 2000, which is kind of like unreal. That's a long time to go undetected. This also included some giveaways outside of the Monopoly promotion that McDonald's also did, which was printed at that same facility that he worked at. In total, the scheme is said to have stolen over $24 million in cash of prizes through the game piece stealing. Jesus Christ. So that's just like the value of the prize. Mm -hmm. March of 2000. Special Agent Richard Dent of the FBI's Jacksonville, Florida office received an anonymous tip about the decade-long scheme. Dent was told about Uncle Jerry and how he was selling the Uncle Jerry. Sorry, and how he was selling the winning game pieces for a profit. Agent Dent was also informed that the most recent winner, who was named Michael Hoover, was one of those so-called fake winners. This Agent Dent guy called a McDonald's spokesperson named Amy Murray, who said the company had no idea about any of this. How 
I don't know, but. I mean, obviously just not paying attention. Not Heads paying up attention. their asses. That's the only thing I yeah. can think of. Said, yeah, she said they had no idea about the people working together to cheat the game. And so she was like doing her own type of research. She began to look into all the winners, verify the winners, and realize that a lot of these winners were saying they lived in one place when in fact they did not. God forbid we confirm places and identities at the time. Because most of these people lived in Jacksonville, Florida. So they looked at property records and also they realized that a lot of these people were having their annual monies that they earned from the game, their checks or whatever, were going to some place in Florida. <laughs> I don't know how they didn't like catch on to this. Before. I don't know either because how, how did really they don't? give out this massive amount of prizes and not check a single government issued ID? I have no idea. They also found three other winners who lived within miles of Jacobson, South Carolina Lake House. So that was also kind of, you know, to them, it's like, oh, what a quinky dinky. They're like, you know, how does this happen? And on August 3rd of 2001, a film crew showed up to that current winner, Michael Hoover's home, to talk to him about his one million dollar winning game piece but it actually was not an actual crew it was fbi agents and that amy marie chick from mcdonald's so they started an investigation after that that they only did that so that they could try and get like more intel from this guy and see what he would say about how he came upon this piece what kind of bullshit story he was gonna give them do right. you know what i mean then they started an investigation with a wiretap on Jacobson's phone. And then somehow this Agent Dent guy convinced McDonald's to run one more promotion, which, like, they knew was just to try to bring him to down. To weed it out, yeah. So there was a lot of legalities and lots of things. It was like they knew that nobody was actually going to win prizes. Per se, do you know what I mean? Kind of like but a were thing, they, like a setup. Yeah, it was like a setup. And it was like, but were they really anyway? Because they kind of figured that the taking him down was better than kind of outweighed the legal issue involved with it. Do you right. know what I mean? Because they're really concerned about lawsuits. Because if people were found out, they'd be like, oh, well, no one could actually win this anyway. And, right. you know, whatever. But they were just trying to catch this guy right and by the end of the month they did a raid of jerome jacobson's home once they ran their whole you know spiel mm -hmm. and then on august 22nd they made eight arrests that's including him so he's one and then there's seven other people right and this was august 22nd 2001 it included that Andrew Glom guy, another man named Dwight Baker, and his wife, Linda, who all worked as recruiters for Jacobson, but were also at some point phony winners themselves, mm -hmm. and Jacobson's nephew, Mark Schwartz. I don't know who the other ones were. Obviously, that one guy was dead already. Had he actually probably gotten caught, that, that guy probably would have gotten in some deep shit. But oh, he was yeah. dead, so. Yeah. Can't, can't catch a dead guy. Can't catch a dead guy. Then was charged with conspiracy to commit mail fraud. He was 58 at the time of his arrest. 
And now, see, this is why I they feel like this case would have been a much bigger deal in the news and stuff. But it just so happened that his court case started on September 10th of 2001. Yeah, when you started saying it was 2001, I was like, I bet I know where this is going. And, and obviously, we all coverage. know that 9-11 was the very next day, which is why this kind of got swept down and overshadowed. By... It got overshadowed by that. And rightfully so, because it was a big deal. But that's why, because his court case was the day literally right before that. Yeah, because I don't remember hearing about this at all. Like until I never it. remembered hearing about it either, but apparently people did know about it. Not me, but... Yeah, I mean, until you said that you were going to cover it, I had never heard of it. He pled guilty to three counts of mail fraud, and he received 15 years in prison, but only served three years and one month. Okay. And he had to pay $12.5 million in restitution. Well, good for him. More than 50 people in total were eventually convicted of, you know, the being part scheme. of this. And so they were convicted of mail fraud and conspiracy. All his co-conspirators were released on probation and are paying their money back through monthly installments. The most anyone else served, which was like the people that were close to him, those initial people that got arrested, I think it was only like three or four of them that actually served any time besides him and they the most they served was a year and a year and one day why that one day i don't know but that's what it was well, maybe they had a stipulation where it had to be at least over a year, year maybe. i just thought it was weird it was a year and one day I'm just wondering what their monthly payments looked like especially him oh i can only imagine Jacobson said during his trial, he stole up to 60 game pieces and typically charged around 45000 to 50000 per piece. So they're saying he could have made upwards of $3 million If you do the math on that, that's what it would come to if, if he really did charge that much for each one. Right, and who knows? And he's probably lying and charged more. Who I mean, knows? If, it's a million, if they're winning a million dollars, why would you only take a $50,000 cut? Why wouldn't you take, like, at least 100000 take at least 10%? You would think. But, like, honestly, I don't know. That's just, that's just what he said. You know? So who's to say? So at the time when this was popular in the media and all these articles were out that I basically used he would have been 76 at the time of these articles and he was in poor health and kept to himself and did not engage with media outlets people tried to get in contact with him but he wanted like nothing to do with it he was like no well yeah i mean there's no talking your way out of that it's pretty clear cut and this was like years down the road so like in 2020 why would you want to talk about something that you did forever ago and you're already out of jail and yeah and i wouldn't want to talk about it anyway because you just look like an asshole you just look like an asshole yeah that's a joke mcdonald fired simon marketing after jacobson's arrest and what's funny is then they tried to well they wanted to sue mcdonald's for breach of contract and I think McDonald's tried to sue them back, but ultimately McDonald's ended up settling with them and gave them $16.6 million in 2003. Yeah, McDonald's will be just fine. Yeah, they'll be fine. But it's like, I get why they did it. 
Do you know what I mean? Like, I get that. I do also get that it would probably be seen as a breach of contract. But I mean, it's like, yeah, I get why they did it. Technically, in the legal sense, it is a breach of contract because they are contracted for a certain amount of time. Right. But, and that's on McDonald's, too, for not writing something into the contract. Like a clause or something. Right. Like, saying, hey, if this happens. Yeah, if there's any yeah. fraudulent activity, we may completely void the contract. You're done. You're fired. Like, I'm sure they write stuff in, into it now. Oh, I'm sure Thanks they to do. Uncle Jerry. Uncle Jerry. McDonald's continues to run these types of promotions, as we know, but has since created their own independent promotions task force to prevent this type of fraud from happening again. Kudos to them. <laughs> you know? Mesh, who was the writer, a writer from the Daily Beast who first exposed the story, sold the rights to the article or to the whole, you know, spiel for one million to Ben Affleck and Matt Damon's studio. Oh. Yeah. This was in 2018. With Affleck set to direct and Damon to star in the movie, but nothing ever came of it. So like I don't understand. So apparently people some people did know about it. Yeah. Cause I guess it was sort of a big deal. And this big article expose that this guy wrote, you can't even like I I wanted to use that as part of my like sources. I couldn't even get to it without subscribing. And I was like, hell no. Sorry. Yeah, no. But no, I'm not doing that. No. So I don't have the deets as well as I probably could have had I had access to that because he's the main person that exposed this whole thing. But I think we did just fine. But also, there is a six-part docu-series on HBO called McMillions. Oh. Which came out in February of 2020, and that was produced by Marky Mark Wahlberg. Oh, okay then. So, you know, if you, if you want more details on this, that's something part... you can go check out. I, I'm sure that it goes into way more. Yeah, I would think. I know, six parts. I know that there's a lot more involved in it and i do know that he it's just i gave like the basic the very basic rundown of the whole scheme and everything but i do know that he did actually give a game which i thought was hilarious but didn't put it into my story because i'm just like is that really necessary to talk about but he did give a game piece to like one of those children's hospitals <laughs> you know, like metal that do them like one of the pieces he stole as like a sort of a donation, I guess. I probably thought it was and helping to know. clear his conscience a little. I guess so. And I don't know whatever came of that, but I'm just like, seriously, dude? Like, yeah. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, what are they going to do? How are they going to, I mean, how would they not suspect that it's some kind of weird fraud thing? Like, how do you just get mailed? And I don't know if he's still alive. No, but if he was, he'd be like almost 80. Yeah. So, you know. There's that. Yeah, if you want to know if he's still alive, I guess do some digging. Do some digging. I don't know. I, I tried to see that the everything that I found only, like, was from a couple years ago. And they just said he's very secluded. He doesn't I mean, talk about anything. He doesn't come out. He's just he probably. That's probably for the best. Yeah, that probably <laughs> is for the best. So. That's Jerome, Uncle Jerry Uncle Jacobson Jerry. Well, for you. Uncle Jerry, if it seems too good to be, be true, true, it, it is. is. If you want to find us on our socials, 
We're on Facebook at Too Good To Be True Podcast. We're on Instagram and TikTok uh, at Too Good To Be True Pod. Although I don't update TikTok as much as I update other things. But um, yeah. we are on there. And if you want to send us an email, talk about whatever, we're Too Good To Be True Pod at Outlook.com. As usual, if you go to our main page, which is linked in the show notes, you can send us a voice note or you can monetarily support us if you would like. Um, you can send us DMs. Really, any way you want to communicate with us is fine. We're down. We want to hear from people. Yeah, I would love to hear from some people. We yeah. haven't heard from anyone since K. K. You know, so even if it's just comment, you know, on our Instagram or something, you know, we'll respond. Give us some insight. We want to see, you know, what people think, what they like, what they don't like. I I don't care. Tear us apart. (laughs) Like, I just want to know, like, what people think, like, truthfully. Yeah. I mean, I think we're doing okay because our our follower count keeps going up. It keeps going up. We 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 appreciate that. And we appreciate everyone who's listening regularly and who has just joined us. We yeah. appreciate all of you. Tell your friends. Rate and review. Talk about it. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye. Like, my mom and my brother left and didn't even say bye. I was like, um. They pulled an Irish goodbye on you. Yeah. They said they were sitting out on the couch anymore. I was like, what the hell? They didn't even say bye. Yeah, I know. She's like, what? How dare they? (laughs) How dare they? You don't even have any family that comes over. What are you talking about? Your mother abandoned you in a ditch. She's like, we don't talk about that. We don't talk about that. She's like, she's going to talk. So we're talking.